I'd like to sign my emails with blessings, Pastor Buzz. That's because the word blessing has always meant a lot to me. Here are some definitions of the word that you'll find in English dictionaries. A ceremonial prayer invoking divine protection. The act of praying for divine protection. And something good that you feel very grateful for or lucky to have. Those are okay definitions, but they're not faith-based ones. Here's one that's a little more theological. A blessing is a pronouncement that solicits or distributes well-being when blessings are actualized or realized by divine agency they provide security peace and happiness i don't pretend to have some magical access to god but when i offer my blessing it's with the hope that god will indeed intervene and give that person to whom i'm offering the blessing some security, peace, and happiness. I'd like to talk about blessings from a biblical perspective. Blessings are a core concept in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, God promises the Israelites three things. Their own land to live on, lots of descendants, and God's continued blessing. The notion of God blessing people was a very powerful concept to the people of biblical times, much more powerful than it would be to us today. The idea of God's blessing leverages a common practice in the ancient world, wherein a father would bless the son who is about to inherit from him. This was how a father could guarantee that a son would prosper and be financially secure. By telling stories that draw a parallel with the blessings that an ancient father would pass on to his eldest son, the authors of the Bible were able to convey in a very tangible fashion the power of God's blessing. Perhaps the most highly discussed blessing in the Bible is the one offered by Isaac to his son. Isaac and Rebekah have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was an outdoorsman, a hunter, and his father, Isaac, preferred him. But Jacob was a quiet, thoughtful man, and Rebekah preferred him. This story is from the 27th chapter of Genesis. Rebekah sees Esau as his son, that is, Isaac's son, not her son. It's also true that God tells Rebekah that Esau, who is the older brother, will end up serving his younger brother, Jacob. Importantly now, Esau, being that older brother, was supposed to get his father's blessing. But Rebekah plots with Jacob to make sure that Jacob gets the blessing. From a biblical perspective, it's critical to understand that whoever receives the blessing inherits more than just Isaac's worldly assets. He inherits the guardianship of God's covenant with the chosen people. Whichever son of Isaac happens to receive his blessing will be the person who oversees the promise that God has made of providing land, 
descendants and a continued blessing. Isaac's blessing is a powerful metaphor in the book of Genesis. It ensures the continuity of God's relationship with those who believe in God. This literary device serves to assure us that God will always keep a protective eye on those who live according to the principles of their faith. And those principles are empathy for those made in God's image, living in peace, forgiveness for those who do harm, and an ongoing commitment to repent when we do wrong, along with the determination to always grow spiritually and ethically. That's what we're taught as Christians. But let's step back and look at the biblical roots of blessings from the perspective of Isaac's failing eyes. Isaac is old. His vision is almost gone. He knows that it's time to pass on the job of being the protector of the covenant between God and God's people. The oldest son is Esau, but Rebekah wants her favorite and the person who is apparently God's favorite to inherit. We don't know much today about the ceremonies that surrounded this sort of blessing, but apparently it involved the eldest son bringing food to his father just before receiving the blessing. Rebekah tells her son Jacob to bring this fancy ceremonial dinner to Isaac and then to lie to him and to claim that he, Jacob, is actually Esau and then quickly get blessed. But here's what happens. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. Rebekah took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. Now, maybe if I had a brother whose arms were as hairy as goats, I'd rather take him to urgent care instead of taking the time to pretend to be him to get my father's blessing. But here's what happens next. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, It's Esau, your firstborn son. Now sit up and eat this so you can give me your blessing. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer so that I can touch you and make sure that you are really Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. But are you really my son Esau, he asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. So the goat skin thing apparently works, but Jacob doesn't sound like Esau. In truth, the fact that Jacob is so easily tricked might mean that he was suffering from some sort of early dementia. Here's what happens next. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, 
he was finally convinced and he blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. So apparently the wild animal smell of his son was more important than the fact that he had the voice of the wrong son. Jacob succeeds in getting the blessing. Later, when Esau finds out what's happened, he goes to his father and tells him about the trickery. This is what happens as a result. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, Then who just served me wild game? I have eaten it, and I've blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Now, the best interpretation that biblical scholars can come up with for Isaac, not trying to yank the blessing from Jacob and then give it back to Esau where it belonged, is that Isaac must have realized that God wanted Jacob to be the new guardian of the covenant between God and the Israelites. There is a big difference, though, between the old and the new covenants. Under the old covenant, only the priests could enter the most sacred parts of the temple. In the Old Testament, God used human prophets to interact with the chosen people. Most significantly, the old covenant was between God and an entire people. But the new covenant is between God and individuals, that is, us. The new covenant is about the release from sin, a promise of a life eternal, and the opportunity to model our earthly lives after the earthly life of Jesus. Isaac's blessing was needed to make sure that there would still be a conduit between God and the chosen people. But under the new covenant, blessings are personal. Near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he offers the following blessings in the Beatitudes. Notice that they are available to all of us, not just to the firstborn of an Israelite patriarch. God blesses the poor, those who mourn, humble people, individuals who fight for justice, people who show mercy to others, those who have pure hearts, people who work toward peace, and all those who are persecuted for having the courage to make their faith public. In this last case, for those who have true faith in God, Jesus tells us to be happy, knowing that God will protect and guide us and ensure us a life eternal. But just what does it mean to earn that final blessing, the one that says this, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. How do those who are true believers live? What's the evidence that we deserve this incredible blessing? In chapter 12 of Paul's extremely influential letter to the Christians in Rome, he writes this, 
Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What this says is that moral ethical behavior isn't something that's debatable or that evolves over time. We may learn incrementally what God wants from us. It may take all of our lifetimes, and in fact it certainly does take all that time, to slowly become sanctified, to fully comprehend what it means to live the life that Jesus lived. We never fully get there, but what is right and what is wrong that in itself is not up for debate. It does not change. Our goal is to learn the difference and then live accordingly. We learn it from God, not from people. Our ability to do this is perhaps the most incredible blessing imaginable. We don't need a descendant of Abraham. And yes, Isaac was the son of Abraham and Jacob was his grandson to care for our covenant with God. Ours is a personal, individual covenant. Each of us has our own covenant with God. God will guide each of us personally, one-on-one. -on -one. All we have to do is stop and feel God's blessing. Everything else will flow naturally from there. When Wendy and I are in the foothills or out east of Boulder on a trail, when we're surrounded by pine trees or watching geese fly in a huge arc across the sky, that's when I feel that blessing the most. There's something about the human-built world that keeps us from feeling that personal blessing from God. It's more than the political and social division that the news media instills in us because it's good for their ratings. It's more than the greedy way of living that our commercialized society thrusts upon us. It's more than the pervasive distractions of social media and technology. When we're away from the creations of humans, we see a world that's much closer to the world in which the ancients lived. You know, while there's strong evidence that later people like King David are true historical figures, we don't really know whether Abraham, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau are true historical figures. Perhaps biblical stories do more to help us understand our faith than they do to help us understand history. So be joyful that the story of Isaac's blessing is there to remind us of the incredible value of God's personal blessing for each of us. Mm -hmm.